That is the Norwich City players telling you all you need to know. Championes, they have done it. With 96 points in style, beating Reading 4-1 at Carroll Road on Saturday. The beer and champagne was flying again. And it guarantees that Norwich will be lifting the championship trophy at Oakwell on the final day of the season. Welcome to a very celebratory edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Dabbitt and Connor Southwell, also coming to you on Future Radio 107.8 FM. And we've got lots to get our teeth into. But but before we get into the sort of celebratory nature of it all, boys, I, I, I felt like as well throughout Saturday, really, that there was a bit of a element of relief to the whole thing, you know, to the stewards we spoke to, the staff. It was hopefully, 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 touch wood, uh, the last Carroll Road game behind closed doors. And for me, Pad, as we left the stadium, that was the prevailing thought, having spoken to the players and Farker and everyone, that it was great, you know, it's brilliant they're back in the Premier League. It's great that they've won the title and done so well. But Without the fans, okay, there was a couple of hundred having a bit of fun outside the city stand, but without the fans, it still just feels that little bit hollow, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, the man himself, Mr. Farker, uh, he used the word surreal, and I think that I can't think of a better word really to encapsulate that vibe. That a season unlike any other, with a point tally unlike any other, and possibly, you know, 30 wins, is it? I think, Connor, you pointed out after the game, if they were to do the business at Barnsley, I mean, these are like, well, not even once in a generation or maybe once in a, a, a history of a football club type levels of achievement. And uh, not to have any supporters whatsoever in that stadium. Um, well, I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about the impact of the, the pandemic in terms of football and no crowds and, and that was the peak of it yesterday, that that achievement was played out against the backdrop of, well, a PA system blaring out tunes uh, in homage to Timu Puki and players throwing champagne about and throwing other liquid onto their head coach. Total dis- <laughs> disrespect on El Hernandez. You have a word with yourself there, son. But uh, just, um, you know, sad, sad in a way, very sad in a way that uh, that, that joy and that, you know, pride, which I'm sure is clearly there remotely, albeit, you know, we can't tap into it this weekend because of uh, the social media boycott that ourselves and, and a lot of football bodies, clubs, other media are observing uh, and a lot of fans, to be fair, as well. So you don't even get that remote sense of really the scale of the achievement. Um, so, yeah, I think surreal. We'll probably leave it there, really. But uh Nevertheless, you know, in years to come, this season, fans or no fans inside the stadium will stand alone as as good an achievement as anything this club has achieved. It's 1902 they were formed, so you know, getting on for 119 years, I think it's as good as anything, really. Um, which is probably a, a pub debate to be had when we're allowed to go back inside pubs, obviously due to the roadmap that isn't until May the 17th in the UK, but. Um, I do, I do, I struggle. And, and that's a big claim to say, you know, it is the biggest achievement because what defines an achievement? Is it winning at Wembley in a one-off game? Is it a period of time, like a season? But I just think with everything they've had to contend with, and Daniel himself said it perfectly, he was really, really, really good, I thought, post-match. And we've got his video, it's on pinker.com. Please go and have a watch of that. 
Um, he said it's the hardest season he's ever had as a coach, the, the amount of effort he's had to put in, the, the, the things he's had to deal with, not just football-related matters, you know, the whole issues around the pandemic and the impact on his squad at various points, you know, players actually contracting coronavirus and having to self-isolate. For all those reasons, uh, you run out of superlatives to describe how good he has been and his players and Stuart Webber and all the backroom staff. And uh, if you're an Orange fan waking up today, you must be extremely proud of your football club. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope all of our listeners or, or viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, manage to find a way of of savouring it and enjoying it. And the social media side of it did add a, a strange element to, to the weekend, which is unfortunate from a Norwich perspective. But clearly it's a much bigger issue in terms of racism and abuse on social media. So hopefully football has used its profile to make a bit of an, an impact there. Uh, and as you mentioned them there, Pad, just to, to go over those records. Um, yeah, so 96 points is a club record. They've got 95 in League One in 2010 and 94 in the uh, Championship in 2004 and two years ago. Um, so that one's already uh, in the bag. We were, we've already talked about the away records. It's the best away record in, in the club's history. Home isn't quite as far up there, but it, it is among one of the best. Um, they have the opportunity, um, as you've mentioned, to get the most wins. They've pulled level with the League One season, which was 29 wins overall as well. And as long as they avoid conceding five at Barnsley, then they will have the meanest defensive record in the club's history as well, because they've only conceded 34. And that record uh, is 39 at the moment from the 2004 Nigel Worthington team. So, Connor, while we were busy uh, getting on with stuff, and, and I really should stress that Pinkin.com, not only has it been everything that we normally do um, when social media is up and running, but we've made a real push and an effort to make sure there's even more stuff for people to get their teeth into and, and to try and reflect as much of this fun and games as, as we can do. So I, I hope that has, has come across. Um, but kind of while we were working away after the full-time whistle, we could slowly hear it getting louder and louder outside, couldn't we? And, and we eventually saw all the photos and the videos and stuff coming through and, Okay, the COVID police probably wouldn't be particularly impressed, but uh, there wasn't a lot of social distancing going out there. But a few, what, say 250, 300 fans just couldn't resist themselves, could they? No, it was, it was like a party that we hadn't been invited to, wasn't it? it, was, it was like, weird. Like, we, we were kind of stood at the window hearing all the noises and watching the videos come through and we weren't there ourselves. But no, it was good. I think um, given the the pain and the absence that fans have gone through this season, I think if you are to criticise them for having this moment where the players join them, Daniel Farker join them, I think you'd have to be very cruel um, because of the impact that that they've obviously had this season on those people watching from home. I think for a lot of people, they will have provided a lot of joy and a lot of relief probably to what has been um, an incredible year and a half for, for everyone, I think, an incredible season. I mean, beyond those very limited um amount of fixtures before Christmas where fans were allowed in and obviously that that Preston game as well early on it's been they, they've been completely shut off so for Daniel to go out and sort of pay respect to them for, for the players to go out and celebrate with them I think is is a really lovely touch and um, it, it just helps I think unite that, that those fans with, with those players and, and there'll be some players in there Ollie Skip um, Jordan Hugill as well that those fans won't have seen and won't have been able to celebrate so um, it is a really nice moment, a really important moment. And um, it, it was really good to see that they had that moment. There was obviously pictures of Delia wasn't there from the window, the lounges, and just to have that 
sort of togetherness in, in a year that has really sort of blocked that off, I think is so important. And yeah, those those celebrations were were really good to see. I think after the play after what the players and the club have achieved, I think they deserve that that respect and that celebration after what the fans have been through likewise. So um yeah, nice to see. I'm glad it's not gone down to the final day because I don't think anyone would have fancied travelling to Barnsley, um having to to win or get a point, knowing the the quality that they have, knowing the FA Cup game as well. Um but now they go there, they're probably going to get a guard of honour and they're going to get a championship trophy. So even before they've gone, it's it's going to be a, a pretty good away day, I think. But yeah, nice to have those those moments and those celebrations. Yeah, Farker's sort of mates with Valerian Ishmael, isn't he, from their coaching courses and stuff. So um, who played for Bayern Munich and he was a well-known player in Germany and stuff and has done a brilliant job uh, at Barnsley, it has to be said, this uh this season. So yeah, you'd like to think there's a, as a guard of honour. Um, right, before we get stuck into the game, um, if you're listening via podcast, and we're going to edit in uh, some audio clips here, which is uh, Kenny McLean, Tim Krull and Kieran Dowell. Although I have to admit, uh, the first half of Kieran Dowell's audio, despite being about six foot away from him, I couldn't really hear it because the music was turned up so loud and the players were celebrating so much. So uh, for, for the audio listeners, here's a, a bit of that, uh, a bit of those interviews. Your goal, the, the second one in particular, how pleased were you with that finish and what an assist from Campbell? I know, I was saying to him, it was a put on a plate for me, a nice present for me. Um, I had one early as well from Javi, which the keeper saved well, so it was sort of a similar position. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, uh, yeah, good finish. Well, that's it. Um, yeah, so a lovely goal. And so I think that's six you finished up with in the end of the season. So considering yeah. the amount of football you played, that's a decent total, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, take that. Um, I don't know how many starters being, but. I like to score as many as possible. I think yeah. probably could have got more. Could have got another one first half, maybe. So you always there's always them little. You always look at those. But no six goals, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. Just lastly, then, how excited are you for the Premier League? Then you got a little bit of a taste of it when you were younger, didn't you? But now yeah. you get a proper go at it. Yeah, I think a proper, yeah, proper. Like you said, proper go. Um, no, I can't wait for it. Um, be thinking about it all summer. I think uh, stay, trying to stay fit and get ready for that. Yeah. Thanks, have a good night just very quickly in a, in a sort of reflective way when you joined from Aberdeen you were excited about this move you thought this is great but you've just passed 100 appearances second promotion second title could you have ever imagined it would go quite this well nah, I mean two, two, two league one in gate, uh, seasons in, in a league in the Premier League three years I've been here now and it's been um, you know thinking about it now I've, I've not really took it all in yeah. maybe I will when I, when I retire and it's been honestly it's been the best three years of my career. Hopefully, I can continue that. Hopefully, another successful season next year. See what it brings. Um, I'm just loving my time here. To be honest with you, uh, that's that's it. I've got a family here, um, so everything for now is good. Congrats, Kenny. Thank Beautiful. you. Cheers. You said in an interview in Holland recently that there was a little bit of Premier League interest last summer. So, how pleased are you that you stuck with it now? Like you say, you signed the contract yeah. and second title in three years. Exactly. I mean, I've always said I wouldn't wouldn't leave this place for for any reason. It needs to be seriously, ridiculously better. And 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 like I said, the loyalty that the club showed me when I wasn't uh, flying, I mean, that counts for a lot. So that's why I signed again in January. And and because it's it's a risk for both because we weren't promoted. And 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 the club, you know, they gave me the commitment um, from their side. And and I just, you know, me and my family are we're really happy here. So. Um, the, this is club is the reason I'm back in the national team and, and hopefully fighting for number one spot in the summer to go to the Euros. I mean, where we were three years ago. Top stuff. Thank Enjoy you. Night. Thank you. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. 
From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Let's get stuck into uh, the game and a 4-1 win pad. And, and Kieran Dow, well, we should say the first half, Reading were good, weren't they? Reading turned up despite their playoff disappointment and stuff. They showed uh, a real bit of mental strength, really, to, to show that determination and, and cause Norwich a, a lot of problems. And then it's really Pookie's persistency, which sort of brought them back into the game before half time. Yeah, I think everything Daniel Farker said about him on Friday for me was evident in that first half that they have some very, very, very good young players. At least say that, you know, young player of the Football League at the edge of that, Max Ahrens and um, Harvey Elliott at Blackburn on loan from Liverpool. So that tells you all you need to know about how good that young man has been. He's still only a teenager, uh, looks an excellent prospect. A lot over Ajari on the other side. He's a very tricky customer. He's bigger, actually, than I'm, mm. I thought he was because you're quite distant at Reading um, in terms of where the media sit in relation. That's quite a cavernous stadium, but seem a bit closer up. You know, he's he's a big lad and uh, he's got ability and um, and Jow on his day as well. Really, that th- front three or four, I mean, a lot is made of how good Norwich's front three or four are, uh, and they are the, the best in the division. But uh, if you take Norwich's four out, I'd, I'd take probably Reddin's as the next. I, I think um, there is they're really as good as that. The potential, the movement. The speed that they pass the ball and they break the lines and they cause Norwich huge problems. You know they got in that pocket between uh, McLean and, and Skip and Norwich's back four too often for comfort. If you're Daniel Farker in that first half, um, and they did cause them a lot of problems as well, and probably should have gone in at the break ahead. But the reason they didn't is because the other thing Daniel said is that you know they have a lot of young players and they're a bit naive and they make some mistakes and they. they they get themselves in good positions this season, but the fact that they've just tipped out of the top six tells you they don't really have that game management element uh, and, you know, some of the errors they made at the back, notably um, for the for the first goal uh, and also the fourth goal, to be fair, were pretty basic uh, individual errors and um, that's where they are as a club. You know, they, they have the potential to be in and around and Daniel thinks they'll go on now and have a very good season next season. He's obviously a huge fan of the work Paunovic has done there and you can see there's a lot of similarities with how Norwich go about the task. And uh, the question I'd have now is, will they be able to keep the Elise's and the Ajarias this summer and one or two others, you know, because I'm sure they'll be interested in those players. If they do, then they'll have a good good attempt at it. So, yeah, and, you know, they clearly were, were quite keen to spoil the party. I think that Panovic said after the game that they wanted to delay Norwich's title celebration. So they started like that, but, once for me, Norwich got themselves back on level terms. Um, rest of that first half, and more so the second half. You know, I did ask Daniel what on earth he had said to him at half time because it was night and day. Um, Tim Krull barely touched the ball in that second half. It was all Norwich, and in fact, if it wasn't for Rafael Cabral, his opposite number, that could have been getting up around Huddersfield proportions because he made some excellent stops immediately yeah. after half time. But obviously, then when Dow scored the second, his second, and, and the second of the game for Norwich, the dam burst and and obviously this went on and, you know, won it very comfortably. But, uh, you know, Daniel said, well, you know, yeah, there was a few words and talked about the soft skills and they made a couple of tactical tweaks at half-time. But, but ultimately, I think what you probably saw in the final margin of, of victory and the line that is a team who, uh, 
you know, fully grown and mature. You know, yes, they've got young players in Norwich, but they've got the Cruels and they've got the, you know, Hanleys and Gibson when he was fit and, and Hugel in and around it and Tete and obviously Pookie at the top end pitch. They have very experienced core of players against a team who have the potential to be decent at this level, but uh, are still learning their trade. And, and you can see that um, the way that the game panned out, that Norwich uh, almost by the second half were just toying with Reading. And it was credit to credit to the champions that they did respond because uh, by no manner of means did Reading come to roll over, that is for sure. Oh, yeah. If it wasn't for Raphael, that would have been six or seven, wouldn't it? Because he made three excellent saves at the start of the second half and Norwich absolutely burst out of the traps. And um, the finish from Kieran Dow, so that was 64th minute when Norwich actually claimed the lead. By that point, Watford were losing at Brentford anyway. So we were kind of, uh, we were pretty relaxed in the press box that we were going to be covering a, a title triumph in the next half an hour or so, weren't we, Connor? But that finish from Dow was lovely. He'd, he'd had a very similar situation for one of those brilliant Raphael saves uh, that was set up by Kintia. But that one in particular, a gorgeous pass from Cantwell, as well as a, a lovely finish. And I was particularly pleased because I did my column on Kieran Dow on Saturday morning, didn't I? Saying, you know, there could be a Premier League player already in the squad there who could, who could a bit like Cantwell, look good in the top flight and the rhythm of the game might suit him nicely. But to have five goals in 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 nine games now, he he is coming along nicely, really, isn't he? Yeah, and I, I thought that was his his best performance actually in an Norwich shirt today. Not just in terms of the goals he scored, but his overall contribution. I think we we've seen the bursts of quality, that Derby free kick, the goal at Forest, but sometimes he's he's had a habit of being lost in games a little bit, and, and it didn't really feel that like that yesterday. He was kind of central, I felt to to what Norwich did and, and there was that moment wasn't there he flicked that lovely ball over the top for Timu Puki to run yeah. onto and, and again Raphael saved that so um I, I yeah he's he's really coming along nicely he's finding some momentum and some form at the right time and, and I was going to mention what you mentioned there five goals in nine games which given we, we spent so many minutes on on this podcast throughout the season just sort of debating that number 10 position and whether they needed to strengthen it and how they'd approach it in the summer he's kind of answered that like you say and there is potential there he's He's got a knack of scoring goals. He gets in positions at the right time. He could have had another one in the first half when it was dragged back to him and he just um, failed to keep his balance. But um, just a really positionally aware, intelligent footballer, very technical, as as you come to expect with with, with a Daniel Farker player. But um, yeah, that second finish from an angle, I think most players maybe in their mind would have thought to cut that back. He didn't. He looked for the corner. He found it. It was an excellent finish from a, from a lovely Todd Campbell pass. And um, yeah, some some early signs really that he's beginning to integrate himself into what Daniel Farker wants in that in that three behind Team Ubuki with Campwell and Buendia. So um, the, I don't think the talent's ever been in doubt. It, maybe it's it's more about him getting up to match speed and and. and almost finding his role in this Norwich side a little bit as that number 10 and really working out what Daniel Farker wants him to do. And um, I think yesterday was an indication that he's moving in the right direction. If he can take that um, into Barnsley, repeat it again, and then into the summer and pre-season, then that number 10 issue isn't doesn't become bigger than it needs to be, does it? It's, it's quite clear that that will be his um, at the start of the Premier League. So um, he deserves a lot of credit, I think, for the way he's responded to that injury because there was a point, as I mentioned, where you began to wonder whether or not his Norwich career would ever really get started. And um, to his credit, he's knuckled down. He's started producing. We're starting to see the numbers that we'd hope to see. And um, and yeah, he's found his role in this Norwich City side. So he deserves a lot of credit. And Norwich, uh, as you mentioned, Dave, has have an option there if he can kick on for, for the Premier League, for sure. 
he has a cracking left foot on him, doesn't he? And, um, you know, he, he had a brilliant loan spell at Forest. He was very good at Wigan as well. He won their goal of the season, didn't he? So, you know, if you just look at the basic stats, of, which i got in front of me here, uh, Dow's got six goals this season. Vrancic has got three. Uh, Steepman only got one, although I think we can sort of discount Steepman a bit with him that he's been through with his illness and stuff, isn't he? But, you know, Vrancic, two of those goals, of course, were massively important, weren't they? The late late goals against Birmingham and, and Wickham. Um, and But in terms of assists, Vrancic has got five and Dow's only got one. So they're, they're only the headline stats. Like that, that clearly doesn't tell the, the full story. But we may have seen quite sort of muted goodbyes, mightn't we, Pad, really? Because Vrancic and Tete did come onto the pitch uh, for, what, the last 10 minutes or so. Um, we don't know what's going on with their future just yet. But from what Daniel Farker has said, I think you can kind of, you can pretty much read between the lines at this point, can't you? Yeah, I might be struggling here, Dave. You might have to take over again. This cough uh, oh, is, bad. <coughs> is, uh, is nothing uh, too untoward other than man flu. Uh, in fact, I think you might want to throw it up to Connor, mate. Yeah, all right, I'll give you a chance. <laughs> but yeah, Connor, yeah, I mean, there was lots of emotional hugs for, for Tete and Mario, wasn't there? So beyond what Daniel had, has, has said in recent weeks, uh, it's not looking like they either are going to be here next season. And they've both been such great servants, haven't they? Yeah, and both played their part, haven't they? Crucially, Tetti, obviously, over a longer period of time. Mario Vrancic was Daniel Farker's first signing. They're both really um, thought of warmly, I think, by Norwich fans for different reasons. Vrancic for his for his ability, I think, to, to unlock defences, to play wonderful passes, those brilliant free kicks and almost his ability to, which he did two years ago, which was almost single-handedly um, pulled Norwich City over the line to secure promotion with that goal against Blackburn, free kick against Sheffield Wednesday. The problem, I think, for him probably is the mobility side of things and, and maybe age is slipping away from him now. And, and when you think about the Premier League, and, and we noticed it last time with Norwich, you need athleticism and energy in midfield. That's why Ollie Skip was brought in this season. And, and it's not a, a kind of issue, I think, with his technical quality, because I think he's he's still as good as any midfielder Norwich have, on a, certainly in the central areas, on, on a technical basis. Um, and the way I kind of describe it is, when you look at Kenny McLean, he's maybe not as technically proficient as Mario Vrancic, but in terms of energy and, and, and the defensive side of the game, he's he's better. And that's that's why he, he gets in ahead of him. And, and that's why I think Daniel's maybe sort of considered him as a number 10 and an area that maybe the demands on the defensive side of the game isn't as big. And for Alex Tetti, it's it's been the season where they've managed to kind of source a replacement, haven't they? On a temporary basis, Ollie Skip. And now the challenge, if if it is goodbye, is going to be finding a permanent one if they can't retain Skip. And obviously, it's it's a bit of a fluid situation because we're not entirely sure how that's going to pan out. Now you can obviously throw an injury into the mix, but what a servant he's been for for Norwich City. Um, he's seen it all, hasn't he? Relegations, promotions. Um, he's got one of the best smiles in football. There's no doubt about that. And um, I, I think he's he's always given his all to the club and that's all you can ask I think of a player and, and it's, it is the end of a generation in many ways because we've seen it a lot in recent years with Russell Martin, Wes Houlihan, John Ruddy. If this is the end for Alex Setti then I think a lot of people will will remember him in, in, in good stead. He's got the most appearances of a, of a foreign player as any non-UK um, and, and Irish player at the club. He's going to leave with a lot of a lot of history and, and undoubtedly as a Norwich legend. I think the, the only sadness is and um, I think he told you last year, Dave, didn't he, that he wasn't too keen on a testimonial and, and, and that's probably his modesty coming across. But if, if it is goodbye, then I just hope that there's a way that supporters can can pay tribute to him because he's been um, he's been excellent. And I think he's he's held in probably higher regard than he realises by supporters, actually. And um, 
And yeah, hopefully if this is the end, then next season when Carrow Road is full and rocking again in the Premier League, they can get Alex Tetty back on the pitch to, to say his goodbyes. I think that would be a nice moment for everyone. Oh yeah, that would that would be quite a, an emotional moment, wouldn't it? So um, we, we'll see how that one develops. Um, I guess it won't be too long before we we hear about them. We did um, during this week. We had Michael McGovern's contract um, extended, which everyone was expecting, weren't they? Another two year deal, and sounds like it sounds like he's probably going to ret- be the third choice still, which uh, is what he was in the Premier League last year, wasn't it? So uh, he's probably edging towards a bit of a coaching and uh, motivational role and things like that. But uh, yeah, Pad, um, that segue sort of nicely into to Skip, really, um, which was the the one negative element of it, wasn't it? Him being on uh, being on crutches during the um, during the celebrations. You never know. I mean, Farker has sort of said that, that we're not going to know for a little while what's happening with Skip, but it might just end up being a little blessing in disguise for Norwich. And it means if he, if he's not fully fit and, and that Tottenham think, OK, well, maybe he's best to go back out on loan. Well, let's hope so, yeah. I'm hoping a whole soother has done the job. Other cough sweets are available, obviously. There's any other <laughs> manufacturers, there's any manufacturers out there who are listening to this and want to send us some cough sweets. Well, me, basically. Feel <laughs> free. I'm open to product placement when it comes to cough sweets at the minute. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and, and also, I mean... The way Daniel was talking, he, he thinks it could be long term. It's a bit early yet. Um, you know, not quite sure. Broken foot, sort of ankle damage. Uh, it continues to be assessed. We're obviously just a few hours after the final whistle, really. But uh, you know, when Daniel's talking in those terms, and that's the initial physio assessment, and he's, as you say rightly, Dave, he's on crutches, and they had a protective boot on him when he was on the pitch for the celebrations. It's it's sad that it's going to end that way this season. And then the bigger question probably is, given it's all done and dusted, uh, is will we see him again in an Norwich shirt? And uh, yeah, that's not uh, that is a potential one silver lining to the scenario that if he's essentially, you know, if we're talking a, a long part of the summer, he's going to be unavailable and maybe only getting back to full fitness into the new season. You know, that probably means he's not going to really be in the thoughts of whoever succeeds Jose Mourinho at Tottenham because he's going to want players in the here and the now to go uh, to, to be ready for Tottenham for the start of the new Premier League season. So if that is the case, then you would think Norwich would be at the head of the queue of any potential <coughs> any potential suitors to, to get back out on loan. But uh, I guess there's too many ifs in that statement at the minute, really, to, to know. I, I think if, if there'd been no injury um, and he was basically going back to Tottenham, uh, off the back of an unbelievable season, how he's not in the Championship Player of the Team of the season, sorry, I do not know. Uh, find that the most bizarre omission going, to be fair. But uh, then I think it would have been a difficult one to get him back because, again, the reality is because of the uncertainty at Tottenham, whoever the new person is, they I'm sure first thing they're going to want to do is assess the squad they've got there at Tottenham, and that would have probably meant Ollie Skip remaining for. Well, the duration of the summer pre-season, maybe the start of next season, given the window, uh, as always, overhangs to the start of the, the new football season. So Norwich couldn't have simply waited. They, they cannot hang their hat on the potential for Ollie Skip to return to solve what is a key position underlined by his performance levels this season and even more so going into the Premier League. Um, so I think if, if he hadn't been injured... I think they'd already be looking and are looking, I'm sure, in terms of alternative options in that position because they they have to plan, essentially, without the prospect of that guy coming back. Uh, otherwise, Weber isn't doing his job, is he, and the recruitment team around him. So whether 
this now, potentially, if it is a, an injury that requires a length of time on the sidelines, allows Norwich to still continue down that path to get another defensive midfielder in. But then if he, you get to the last two or three weeks of the summer window, which I think is the end of August, it officially closes, and Ollie Skip is available on loan, you get him back all day long to compete with whoever else they brought in over the summer. Um, because there's a player who I think at 20 years of age, too good for the championship, possibly not quite good enough to be a starting 11 for Tottenham at the minute, um, but certainly good enough for a Norwich team in the Premier League. So, um, And Daniel loves him. Daniel would, Daniel would have him back tomorrow if he could, but it's ultimately not in his hands. It's in the hands of the people who make these decisions at Tottenham. Albeit, you will say that, and Daniel referenced it recently, they have an excellent working relationship with Tottenham, irrespective of whether they've got a head coach in place or not now. Stuart Webber, Steve Hitchin, the, the chief scout at Tottenham, very well um, connected in terms of their relationship. So, ultimately, it probably comes down to what Ollie Skip wants. You know, if it if the if the, the decision is put into his lap, and it's like, well, probably not at the moment if you're the first team at Tottenham, but if you want to go out and play, here's the options. And you would hope he must have enjoyed playing regularly week in, week out. He's spoken about that, how he's almost grown up. He's had to fend for himself in terms of off, off the pitch as well, leaving home for the first time. Um, why wouldn't he want to come back to Norwich where, you know, he's got a head coach who believes in him and a team who will give him regular minutes in the Premier League. If you're that young man, 20 years of age, you've had a full season in the Championship, surely the next step now is to try and get as many minutes as you can in the Premier League. And if you're not going to get that at your parent club, um, I don't think there's many better options than Norwich in the Premier League next season. So we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. But um, yeah, I think I probably would agree. I think that injury in, indirectly uh, might improve Norwich's chances of getting back. But but irrespective, they will have to go and get somebody else in because you, you're you not going to get Ollie Skip back on the first day of pre-season. And that's the bottom line, isn't it? Yeah, looking very unlikely. Um, so I guess that will mean Jacob Sorensen playing at Barnsley gets a little op- opportunity or another opportunity to to push his claims. From what I've seen him of him in central midfield so far, I can't can't say I've been that convinced that he's a a, a strictly defensive midfielder. He's looked a bit more of a, a, a sort of a traditional box to box central midfielder, really, from what we've seen so far. So maybe he needs that opportunity to to get a bit of rhythm and and some positional discipline, given that he's had to play at left back so much of the season. But uh, Tim Krull was orchestrating the songs to uh, towards Skip outside uh, one more year, and we want you to stay and all that sort of stuff. So um, the fans who were out there made sure that that Skip uh, knows full well that they want him back. Um, the third goal, Connor. Uh, Javi Kintia in the 78th minute. I turned to you just after uh, the free kick was was given, hadn't I? Uh, looked like a perfect position for Kieran Dow to go for his hat trick, and I said, "What? Why is Dow not on this one?" And then, literally about five seconds later, Kintia showed me exactly why. <laughs> yeah, he listened, though, didn't he? That was <laughs> yeah. T- to be fair, I agreed with you. It did seem a, a little bit odd that that he was stood over that free kick. Emi Buendia was as well, wasn't he? And, and but certainly, I think the the way they were both sort of shaping up, it looked like Quintia fancied it, and uh, yeah, he definitely did. It reminded me almost of of Janino. That was it was that sort of style, wasn't it? It was an excellent free kick. Um, it's, it's a shame we've not seen that on on a bit more of a regular basis. And to be fair, I thought his performance yesterday and probably probably bar that Watford game, who's also okay at QPR last weekend. I mean, look, we, we know what he is positionally, um, defensively, probably not his strongest areas. He's not as keen or 
or balanced as uh, or keen on the ball rather or balanced as as maybe Dimitris Yanoulis. But um, as as an understudy, I think he's he's proven that even still his standard is 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 pretty high, and he's he's got that obviously set piece capability in his locker as well, which you've seen at the early part of the season. Some of his corners, particularly at Huddersfield, were were excellent. So it's it's just a shame, obviously, that injuries have prevented him from really showcasing. I think what he can do at Norwich. Um, uh, yeah, I, I still think as we sit here today that Yunus, well, he will be the option in the Premier League. I find it very difficult to envisage a situation where Quintia is a Norwich City player um, come the start of pre-season as well. But uh, what a way to sign off if that is his final game for Norwich City. Obviously, Yunus comes in against against Barnsley. You should you should think now his suspension's over, and um, you you can see how pleased everyone is for is for Quintia. And, and you wait one week for a goal, and then you get two back to back. So it's um. It's it's not too bad at all, but um, yeah, I, I thought he was he was pretty good yesterday and and, and deserves the applause. It's all come his way for this little run, but ultimately, when he reflects on the loan, probably hasn't gone in in the way he would have hoped, and that's largely I think because of injury rather than ability. Because when he has played, I think we've we've seen again glimpses of of what he's capable of. So um, a little bit of a shame, but yeah, ultimately, if that's if that's the way he's signing off, what a way to sign off. Yeah, it's, it's always been defensively that the issue is for me. Like that second half, well, even the first half, yesterday was a little bit shaky, I thought, defensively. But second half, when Norwich were full throttle going forward, he looked to suit things very nicely. He he seemed to have the rhythm. He had a bit of an understanding with Dowell and Campwell going on. He was really pushing forward and really influential. Now, I think, Pad, that the when when he signed, the reported option in the for a permanent deal was 2.6 million, wasn't it? So... If you're looking for a backup to Yunulis or competition for Yunulis, that's not a huge outlay. So unless there's someone that they really are convinced is is a better option. Of course, you've got Sam McCallum in the mix as well, haven't you? Coming back from Coventry potentially, who has now been you know banking proper Championship experience, um, but generally playing wing back. It's it's just going to be really interesting to see what they do. I think we all expect Yunulis to be the first choice, but. From from what we saw yesterday, Kintia and in recent weeks, Kintia is clearly a very popular lad in the squad, isn't he? He seems like a you know from the the few interviews we've had with him, he seems like a really a really friendly lad, and and does seem to sort of his face seems to fit almost. Absolutely, and um, and the celebration of his teammates underlined how popular he is, and <clears throat> I put that to Daniel actually after the game, and Daniel said. It was actually quite cruel was the word he used in terms of leaving him out of some of those squads. It was a game recently, was it? It might have been Preston where he, mm, because of all yeah. the issues they had in terms of player availability, he came in, played, and then he was out of the 18 for the next game, which is is quite a brutal way to do it. But um, obviously Daniel would turn to turn around and say, well, you know, end result is we're going back as champion. So he's done what he had to do. But for the, for the lad himself, very difficult mentally to have to deal with that on top of those persistent issues he had around the injury, which curtailed his early season, you know, decent start, I thought, to his career at Norwich. Yes, defensively suspect on occasion, but uh, he was offering enough to be in the side, I thought. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I don't I don't think where Norwich are, yes, they don't need to sell players. They're, they're making that very clear financially, even with the pandemic hole from, from a lack of support or revenue that they're in a decent place um, to push on, but not to the extent where they could, given they've now, you know, co- confirmed Unulis's purchase for in the region of 6 million, 6.2. I don't think you pay 2.6 if it is, and then park Quintia on your bench. I, I just think that's, 
type of deal isn't a, isn't an option for Norwich in terms of the revenue they've got to play with. There will be other areas of that team, let alone squad, that are the priority. And, and any funds they do have available, I think, will be funneled in those directions. So, yeah, it will be. I think Byram's the, the, the key to me uh, in that situation. You know, if Byram is, as he demonstrated um, in his first season in the, in the club, in the Premier League, you know, he was he was keeping Jamal Lewis out of that team Um and on merit as well, he was he was excellent for a spell. Sadly, he got that injury against Liverpool, the hamstring issue, and we've not seen him since. Um, so the huge, huge question mark is, can he get himself fit enough to be in consideration for a Premier League squad place? And, and there must be a big question mark. And I'm sure that is in the minds of Weber and Farker and, and the recruitment guys over these next few weeks. You know, these are big weeks now in, in, in Sam Byram's career, I would suggest. Um, if he's able to physically declare himself available for the start of pre-season, then I, I don't see them actively going into the market and, and doing anything because, you know, you've got Barley Mumba in the mix, OK? He's maybe seen as more a naturally right-sided option, but could play there. Sam McCallum will come back as well. We'll get a chance, I'm sure, at the start of pre-season to maybe sort of try and convince Daniel he's a bit closer to his thoughts than he was, you know, 12 months previous, where he played him in that League Cup tie the first game at Luton and he, he looked a bit short, to be fair, of what was required. And, and subsequently, Daniel arrived at the same conclusion because they sanctioned that loan return to Coventry. But he has played a lot of championship football this season in a team who've achieved, achieved their objective of staying up. So, you know, you would have thought he will have kicked on from the player we saw at Luton at the start of this season. That'll be an interesting dynamic. So I think there's there's a lot of moving parts to that left-back situation. But ultimately, if we're just focusing on Xavi Quintilla, they won't be they won't be shelling out the thick end of three million to have a, a backup left back. It's just not financially something they'll be able to do this summer. There'll be far more pressing claims on whatever finance they've got available. Um, but you know, it'd be nice to see. I mean, we were talking about this after the game. You know, Tete obviously and, and, and Mario. You know, there's a little bit of sentimentality, I'm sure, about that final Carra Road appearance for those two guys yesterday. I'm sure they'll feature at Barnsley as well. But um, you know, it would be nice at some point, appropriately, whether it was the summer or next season, to try and get some of these lads back, maybe try and get the class of 2021 back for a Carrow Road home game, just to recognise their achievements, because there's another guy, OK, for the, for the most part, he he ended up on the on the margins of it, but um, you know the, when he was required in the last two or three games, he, he's played his part, Xavi Quintier, and, uh, you know, a bit like Jordan Hugel, you know, Daniel doesn't measure their impact purely in minutes on the pitch, it's how they've been within the group dynamic. And as Daniel himself said after the game yesterday, this is the best dressing room he's ever been a part of and, and never will be a part of. So that isn't just about quality and ability on the pitch. It's about the good characters, the good tourists almost that you have in and amongst it in the dressing room. And clearly that reaction that greeted his goal would indicate Chubby Quintero is one of those. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how things shape up. Um, the fourth goal then, Connor, arrives in the 85th minute. Tamu Puki gets it. It's 26th of the season. Uh, Ivan Tony also scored on Saturday for Brentford against Watford. So he is still four goals out uh, in front on 30. Um, and so you would have thought the golden boot is very much um, uh, sorted now, um, which is a, a shame, really, because Puki definitely could have won it with the chances he's had. And, and, and I suppose that follows really in this game. But I still thought he was... I still thought he was really good. His, his running, the way he led the line, I thought he was a crucial part of it. You know, he had one cleared off the line as well, didn't he? So, um, what did you make of him? 
Yeah, I, I agree. I thought he was he was good. Um, what what I would say is there's a lot of people, and and you know we we've done it before. Speak about the the opportunities he he misses, but then I, th I think it, it fails to get mentioned his persistence to keep going, to keep getting in those areas. I mean, Norwich are a free one up and the, the clock's ticking down. They look like they're going to win the title and still there's a willingness to beat Raphael to that loose ball and, and, and try and nick a goal. So that determination, that persistence, I think you've you've got to admire. He's, he's capable of, of almost smelling a goal, isn't he? And um, there's there's a reason that he scored 26 goals this season that's that's not an easy feat it's not um something that, that comes about and, and yet he's made it look normal that's the reason that he's he's probably not in Norwich City's top three for the player of this season um so yeah I, I, I'm pleased that he he managed to get a goal because it was what four games I think without a goal which for him is quite a prolonged period actually and, and we saw the miss at QPR um last week and uh, the misses that maybe were were in this game as well, and you just wondered whether he'd forgotten his shooting boots again. But in, in the end, it was uh, and, and Paddy referenced the the front four that Reading have got. But um, I thought Liam Moore was a big miss for them yesterday. And and equally, if if they do want to have success in the championship, then I don't think you can put your hat on Tom Holmes and uh, and, and Gibson at the back because um, they they were mistake ridden really um, there were a, a couple of moments where they played a loose back pass and, and and you've got to credit Timu Puki because he was alive to that all the time he was pressing them he was trying to force the errors and ultimately he got his just rewards I think in, in the end with with that goal and um, probably a reward for his work rate and his determination getting in right areas as well and for a striker I think you've got to be willing to, to bounce back up and, and often kind of misses can can stick in your head a little bit um, particularly if they're big ones and there's a few of them you can kind of dwell on them a little bit and with with him it doesn't really feel like there's that sense it, it kind of feels like the the play resumes and, and he's back again he, he doesn't need time to dwell on it and um, I think that's what makes him so potent particularly at this level is, is the fact that he can move on from those missed opportunities and and take the opportunities eventually that arrive his way and credit to Norwich because they've created enough of him uh, enough of them this season for him to miss now obviously the debate will shift to the Premier League and and, and whether um, those opportunities he does get he needs to be more clinical with because ultimately Norwich are going to have much fewer of them um but again, that kind of lends into the date we've had again about bringing in an extra striker and that sense of competition, which possibly he maybe doesn't feel as, as strongly as perhaps he should at this stage. So, yeah, a very impressive season now. I think whatever happens, I mean, to score uh, was it 26 um, this season, 29 last time in the championship. It's, it's incredible. It really is. And, um, I, and and that's even with a season this year where Norwich have shared the goals around a little bit more. So, um, yeah, he deserves a lot of credit. He's, he's going to go into the Premier League as Norwich's first choice. He's loved by supporters. He's loved by Daniel Farker. And uh, and yeah, I think he's there's, there's probably even a claim to, to say that he's improved this year in terms of his work off the ball and how he links the play and, and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, really good steps for Timu Puki heading into both the Euros and then enforce a, a Premier League campaign. So it's, it's going to be a big few months for him, I suspect. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether he plays at Barnsley, given he's played a lot of football. You've got Hugel and Eda both keen on minutes. You'd have thought he'll be on the bench at the very least, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if Tamu was probably happy to get his feet up now. And, and, and it made sense from Norwich's point of view with an eye on next season as well, not to flog him any more than you need to. Um, but we shall see. But I just wanted to finish on on the game pad on Andrew Omar Bamadeli, um, because uh, I thought he was really good yesterday. I thought the Watford and Bournemouth games were tough 
for him because of all the stuff that we've discussed in recent weeks. Those games were kind of strange matches, weren't they? And I thought he was quite quiet at QPR as well. And I've just had a look at the stats while Connor's talking there. He made nearly double the amount of passes yesterday that he did at QPR. He made the most passes of any Norwich player by uh, 11 clear of Grant Hanley. He made 78. And he also made the most accurate passes. 70 of his passes were, were accurate. And as well as his passing uh, being good, I thought we saw some real moments of composure from him yesterday, turning out of trouble, getting things right, where if he'd got them wrong, he would have let, been left with a lot of egg on his face. And it would have been one of those sort of um, alarming moments with a young player when you think, oh, this is coming too soon for him. But when you think he's an 18-year-old lad who's just had his first run of games in senior football, he has been really impressive on the whole, hasn't he? 100%. Yeah, I mean... Did write about it yesterday that in the, the Preston game that was his first start, senior start, and uh, really he was just pitched in at the deep end in, in a big way, and and maybe the adrenaline and the emotion got him through that day. That was a very decent debut, you know. Sadly, he was involved in their equaliser, went through his legs. Couldn't really be blamed for that, but that's one ninety minutes, and you know you can't really judge. But now I think that was his sixth consecutive senior game, full game yesterday, six or seven. And uh, and he looks just as composed as he was for me at Preston. And uh, that's really exciting because, you know, it isn't just a, a one-off with him. He's, as, as Daniel likes to say with young players, you know, he's walked through the door and he looks very comfortable in that room. So I think they've got a massive decision with him now in terms of do you think he is, is capable now of being part of a Premier League squad? And when I say part of, of course, he's not going to be ousting Gibson and Hanley. Um, they're getting heavily linked with other centre-backs so that you can put your bottom dollar on. There'll be another one coming. Christoph Zimmerman will be back and available. So, you know, you're not you're not asking him to be your, your, in your 11 on the opening day of the season. But uh, by the same token, as it, as it proved two seasons ago, you know, you can get injuries in that area of the pitch and then you might be down to the bare bones again. And could he do a job in the Premier League? And that's, that's a big call. Um, but... I think it is now in debate. Whereas when he was getting in and around him and you know Omatoy, and we're travelling with the team for a period there, sort of middle part of the season, just after the turn of the year, and he's basically making up the numbers. If we're being brutally honest, now he's he's actually shown over a consistent period of games, maybe he isn't that too far away from being you know under consideration for for the eighteen on on a regular basis. So that's huge credit to that young man. Of course, the alternative argument is if he's if he's not going to get any football, a little bit like his um, compatriot Adam Eder, you know, if they're not going to get regular football next season in the Premier League, are they better served going out on a loan and getting a good loan? And if, I think a good loan now is a Championship club. I think he's he's probably too good for you know outposts in Belgium and Holland. With all due respect to those leagues, or you know even lower down the pecking order in the football league, I think let's. Because what we're seeing at the minute is every bar he's, he's asked to clear, he's clearing it and, it and he looks comfortable doing it. So let's really let's push him now. And, and, and if it's not to be part of a Premier League squad, then a very good championship loan. But uh, yeah, I mean, yesterday there was one incident where Reading were threatening to break in the first half and he's literally, he's almost headed the ball upwards as if he's juggling with it. He's about 35 yards from his own goal. Uh, the ball's dropped and he's cushioned the volley into Emi Buendia. And you just think, well, this is a centre-back. That's that's very impressive. You know, the technique to do it and, and the the willingness to do it as well, the composure. There was another one in the second half where Reading was threatening to counter and he's he's read the game. That's what I like. He's actually, he's reading of the game. is very good. You know, there's maturity to 
he senses the danger and he, he, he shifted out to the right-back slot. Max Aaron's had pushed further forward, moving broken down, Reading with coming on the counter and he's got to the ball before Ajaria. I think the ball's getting passed out to him and he's got across there, beating Ajaria to the ball and then composed and played it back to, to another of his teammates. So, yeah, it's hard not to get overly carried away, but everything we're seeing so far, he's... He's in the same rank for me as Lewis, Aaron's, Campwell, Godfrey. I think he could be that good. And uh, the, the, But the key is now, and, and we've seen this in the past with Norwich teams, when they, they, they go through the leagues and maybe outstrip the development of their younger players at that given point in their, their own individual cycles, I think it's probably a stretch to suggest he could be really pushing to be in the Premier League 11. But... Maybe not so much to be in, a, in an 18 and being in and around the squad. So, you know, I'm very interested. There's a lot of interesting as, aspects and facets yeah. to Norwich's recruitment this summer, in and out. But that is very interesting to me. What they decide is the best next step for that young man. Is it keep him in the group or is it let him go out and play football at a championship level? Because you can guarantee there will be clubs in the championship now who will have monitored him. They will have their own scouting networks much like Norwich do, and they will be fancy and taking that lad on loan next season. So, yeah, he's uh, he's done his, his own claims a world of good. There's no doubt about it. And centre-backs can be worth good money in the transfer market as well. And you, you think all the way back to Rio Ferdinand, but um, Harry Maguire, um, John Stones, if you can bring through a good... Um, homegrown defender with international potential, which, you know, I'm not going that far just yet. Um, but in terms of Norwich's academy emphasis and, and that being a, a key revenue flow for the club, if you can develop someone like that, they can quickly be worth a, a great deal of money. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how he develops. But fair play to the lad for the way that he's dealt with it all so far. And you never know, 18, he might have another growth spurt in him yet as well, because he already looks physically like he's it. He's able to handle it. So um, that's been a nice element of things to have that, that, that fresh sort of uh, injection of youth in, in amongst it all. Um, Connor, just finally to, to finish off with then, uh, the EFL awards were Thursday night. So it's it's been a, a great few days for the club, really, hasn't it? Um, as Paddy mentioned earlier, Max Aaron's beaten to the EFL Young Player of the Season Award by Michael Olise, who we saw with that nice assist at Carrow Road on Saturday. He's only 19 and has had a great season. Um, this is the award Max won two years ago. But otherwise, the big angle was finally, finally, Daniel Farker getting some recognition, wasn't it? Yeah, it's long overdue, isn't it? Particularly when, when you consider, and I've spoken about this a, a lot, the period between relegation and the start of this season was six weeks and the, and, and the way that he managed that and, and managed to reset the mentality and also do all of that whilst almost improving Norwich City's style of play. And you mentioned the defensive record there. That's going to be the big thing. If they can, if they can maintain that in the Premier League, then I think they give themselves a much better chance. So long overdue, yeah, it, it, and it ends up, a succession of really weird kind of rejections, doesn't it, from the from the manager of the month award? But maybe maybe his problem across the course of the season is that it, Norwich have been really consistent throughout, whereas other teams have had really good spells of form, and um, there, there'll be months gone where Norwich win probably four or five games pretty much every month, certainly for the last well probably since before Christmas but other teams maybe have, have won five in months and then dropped off um, and, and when that happens I mean Mick McCarthy maybe is the best example of that when he came into Cardiff and gave them a, a real major boost and now they've maybe dropped off a little bit and 
Um, maybe maybe that's the reason he's not won it. I'm not sure, but certainly in terms of consistency, yeah, that he, he warrants that award for me. And and I know lots of people spoke about Ishmael and the impact he's had at Barnsley, but you have to look at it as in quality and 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 put all of the job that he's done into context as well. That relegation was so painful and it was difficult to to kind of digest. And 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 there were people questioning him at the start of the season as well, as Pad mentioned, and he's managed to stick to his principles, but equally tweak them, and and he's not been. Um, snobbish in a way that he thinks it's it's his way or the highway. He, he's kind of adapted his approach to make it more durable this season and, and make sure that they head into the Premier League uh, a better side and a side that looks, uh, well, really, they look, look like a Premier League team playing in the Championship. And we've seen that throughout this season. And it, it would have been easy, I think, for him to abandon his principles, abandon the young players and, uh, and go for experience and, and, and completely change his style of play but we know he's not like that and um, the fact it's ended with a championship title and a team that in certainly in terms of points is Norwich City's best um, I think he, he deserves all the plaudits that's that's going to come his way and um, this for me is is probably the one that that he was looking at and I know he's mentioned it a few times he obviously didn't win it two years ago when, when Chris Wilder won it um, and obviously the manager of the, the month awards as well. So I think it, it it did mean, he might play it down, but I think it did mean a lot to him, particularly because he was able to dedicate it to his coaching staff, who's right, haven't been in the spotlight much this season, but equally have, have contributed to Norwich City's success. So um, yeah, long overdue, well-deserved, and um, hopefully it's it's not the end of, of the awards as Norwich head into the Premier League. Yeah, and Falker really does trust his coaching stuff. You can see it every match day, can't you? Eddie Reamer is the guy who runs all the pre-match training drills and the rondos and the motivational speeches before in sort of that classic manager way, I suppose. Farker swoops in at the last minute and says the crucial words. He we barely even see Farker before uh, the teams come out, do we? So very rarely do. You know, Chris Domagala is completely running the fitness side of things. Edward and the goalkeepers. So, And the few times that we get up to Colney to see training before uh, the pandemic... It was very much the case as well. Farker is the top man and they are his generals who run things. So uh, that'll be really interesting as a, a, as well. That's a, sorry, a really, really nice element and deserving element of it as well. Because as Farker said during the season, it's it's called the manager of the month or manager of the season or whatever. But that's a reflection on you as a club and as a team of, of how well you've done, isn't it? So thank you very much, boys. Thank you very much for listening. We'll leave it there for this week. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, absolutely loads to get stuck into on the EDP Evening News and Pinkham websites. Uh, don't forget the papers as well, of course. Um, uh, it's that time of year, isn't it, when uh, it's worth keeping the Pinkins and things like that to, to look back on uh, in a few years. And we've got lots lined up. I won't give away too much at the moment. Uh, we'll keep some stuff up our, our sleeves. Um, but... Um, the other side of Barnsley, we've hopefully got some uh, really exciting things online, which we'll be able to get involved with to really savour this season and the title success. Um, we're hoping me and Paddy will both be at Oakwell, but um, obviously we can't be 100% sure of that just yet during these COVID times. Um, the FA Cup game, we had to sit in sort of the overflow press box, best, uh, press box area on the old wooden desks where my laptop nearly um, <laughs> was broken. Uh, so looking forward to that. We're hoping to smuggle in our video man, Tony Thrussell. We might have to um, sneak him in our laptop bags or something like that so that he can get all that footage of the uh, of the trophy presentation on the final day of the season. The match feels a little bit irrelevant already. A dead rubber. Uh, Barnsley just having their final position to play for. But... Nonetheless, we will bring you as much of it as we can. And we really do appreciate you consuming our content during these exciting times as we start to turn our attentions to the summer and the Premier League. But for now, thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch up with you soon. <laughs>